0: This is the message for you. Uh, uh, We're going to look today at uh, how does the Holy Spirit guide me uh, through the maze of life. When I was a a young child uh, living in the state of uh, Louisiana, one of the biggest highlights of each year that I looked forward to with great excitement and anticipation, was to attend the state fair. And there were four amusements that I just absolutely fell in love with and still have a passion for today. A First, just a fast roller coaster. The faster, the higher, uh, the better. A second, a mouse. Some of y'all don't even know what a mouse is. It's very difficult to find them anymore, but typically... Uh, A mouse, you'd start way up high in this little car, and uh, it would make these horrific 90-degree turns. It looked like you'd be going right over the edge, and boom, it'd turn real quick. Uh, And then bumper cars, loved bumper cars. But then I always was intrigued by the challenge of successfully, or at least trying to successfully navigate myself through a maze. And all you know what I'm talking about, a maze where you'd go in, have all these different passageways, and you'd have to try to find your way to the uh, exit. And uh, interesting challenge a lot of times. You could be in there a long time before you made your way out. Well, I did meet my match one year when they put in a maze of mirrors. Uh, I'll never forget that as a little child. I, I went from, man, this is really cool. This is really fun this is really frustrating and confusing, to this is downright scary. I don't know that I'm ever going to get out of here. And then finally, it was just a little kid in the middle of a maze screaming, anybody, somebody, you know, rescue this poor kid. I'm lost. You know, living life is often like trying to navigate a maze. Uh, And let's be honest, uh, life often can be Frustrating. Uh, confusing and downright scary. Uh, Last Sunday, I alluded to several passages uh, from the book of 2 Corinthians where we saw life is full of stressful circumstances, uh, perplexing decisions, and painful adversity. So today, as we continue our study of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we do want to answer that question. Well, how does the Holy Spirit guide me through the maze of life? So please follow along in your sermon notes. I hope you picked up a copy as you came in. And look, look first at that uh, marvelous promise uh, that God has given us in Psalm 32, verse 6. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. What a promise. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Would you circle the words guide and advise? Guide and advise. I believe we would all admit that the key to navigating the maze of life is receiving God's guidance and advice. Because God sits where? Above the maze. He can see the beginning to the end. He's the only one that can tell you exactly the right turns to make to successfully navigate that maze of life. And the good news is that God has given us a personal guide to do just that. Jesus, knowing he would return to heaven after his resurrection from the dead, promised his followers that he would not leave them as orphans, that he would give them as a gift the person of the Holy Spirit, who would take up residence in their hearts to guide them. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. And this is why we read in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 25, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Without the guidance... Of the Holy Spirit, you will make wrong turns. You will get lost and overwhelmed by fear in the maze of life. So let's begin by answering that first question that you find there in your notes. Well, how does the Holy Spirit guide? Okay, He's taken up residence in my heart to be my personal guide. But how can I get in tune with the Holy Spirit? How does He guide me? What am I to look for? And there are two fundamental ways the Holy Spirit guides a believer. And the first is by reminding me of what God has already said. By reminding me of what God has already said. Look at John chapter 14 verse 26. Jesus speaking. And he says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Now notice, the Holy Spirit is called what? The Helper. The Helper, which is parakletos in the Greek. And it means the one who comes alongside me to help guide me. And how does the Helper guide you? Circle the word, remind. Remind. Jesus said, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will remind you of everything I have said. So the primary way the Holy Spirit guides you is by reminding you of what God has already said in His Word. In other words, as you're walking through life's maze, and you hit particular circumstances and situations and decisions, the Holy Spirit will take God's Word, and He will remind you of it. He will apply God's Word to your life, to your circumstances, to give you the guidance that you need. Let me give you several examples. Say you're traveling through the maze of life, and suddenly you find yourself tempted by sin or tempted to make what you know is going to be a bad decision with terrible consequences. Well, suddenly, at that moment, a Bible verse pops into your mind, warning you, don't go in that direction, don't make that decision, don't suffer those dire consequences. Beloved, that's the Holy Spirit. That's your helper. That's your guide reminding you of what Jesus said in order to provide the guidance you need at that moment. Or let's say you've committed a sin, or you just have a really lousy, stinky, bad attitude, and suddenly Bible passage comes into your mind, convicting you to the quick of your sin, and motivating you to seek reconciliation with others. That's the Holy Spirit guiding you at that moment. Or let's say you come to a crossroads in that maze of life, and a very difficult decision has to be made. You know, you can head off to your right, you can go straight, you can go to your left, or you could turn behind and go down that passageway, and, and you're, you're just struggling to figure out what's the best decision to make in that particular situation. And then right at that moment, you remember a Bible story. And there's a, there's a truth or there's a principle in that Bible story that, that suddenly gives you guidance. And you realize, you know, this is the direction that I'm to take. Again, that is the Holy Spirit, your helper, guiding you. Or say you find yourself very discouraged. Say you're very fearful about something that's, that's coming up soon. And then suddenly you remember uh, a Bible character, uh, maybe uh, a, something out of Joseph's life or David's life or, or one of the prophets or the Apostle Paul. And, 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 and you see in that situation God's faithfulness in their lives in a difficult situation. And suddenly as you see that, that encourages you. And, and that, that gives you the strength to trust God and to continue to go forward and to persevere. The Holy Spirit guides you by reminding you of what God has said in His Word. Now, let's be honest a moment. Sadly, for some Christians, this seldom happens. And why? Well, the answer should be very, very obvious. You first have to get into God's Word. You have to study it. You have to learn it so that the Holy Spirit can remind you of it. And when the Holy Spirit does remind you of God's Word, do not ignore His prompting at that moment. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, a verse that we saw and looked at the last two weeks? It says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Or the King James Version says, do not quince the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. How do you stifle, how do you quench the Holy Spirit? When you refuse to do what He reminds you of, as He reminds you of God's Word. So the primary way, the primary way the Holy Spirit guides you through the maze of life is by simply taking God's Word and reminding you of it, applying it to your life circumstances and situations to give you the guidance that you need. Look at the second way the Holy Spirit guides, and that is by planting desires in my heart, by planting desires, you know, placing some burden on my life, uh, some area He wants me to embark uh, in on faith, or uh, uh, just some, something He wants me to, to, to do for Him or others. Uh, Psalm 37, 4 reads, delight yourself in the Lord, And He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, beloved, I believe we too often uh, misread this verse. Please notice, this verse is not saying that God's going to fulfill every desire that you have. What it does say is this, If, if you delight in the Lord, God then will plant into your heart The right desires. Uh, How do you delight in the Lord? Well, that takes us back to last week's message when we looked at how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember we saw those four conditions? That's what it means also to delight in the Lord. I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I make sure that I'm cleansed from all sin. Nothing between me and God or any other person that I have not sought to make right. I do not resist God's efforts to break me of self-sufficiency, to teach me to truly depend upon Him and to trust in Him. And I quickly obey His Word. Now now listen very, very carefully. I may not say anything more important uh, all morning than this right here. What is God's will for your life? You know, we're talking about the Holy Spirit's guidance. What is God's will for your life? And don't miss the simplicity of this. But the power of this. You're it. You. Ephesians 2.10 says, You are God's workmanship. God's will. God's primary will is to bring you into an intimate relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Where in that relationship you are conformed into the likeness of Jesus in your character and in your conduct, in your attitudes, in your perspectives and values upon life. Now, the mistake we often make is we try to put the cart before the horse. Let me explain. You know, God, would you please guide me to the person that I should marry? Well, God says, when Jesus Christ becomes the first and greatest love of your heart, then and only then are you ready to receive that guidance. Or you say, God, would you please guide me to the occupation that I should have for life? God says, well when the primary occupation of your life is to please me, when that becomes your greatest ambition, then, and only then, are you ready for me to give you guidance in that particular area. Or, you know, God, you know, please, would you tell me whether I should make this move or not? Well, God says, well, when you are fully surrendered to me, And you can honestly say, I'm ready to go wherever you lead, God, then and only then are you ready for my direction. Or or God, you know, please guide me in my finances. And God says, well, when I become the most treasured possession of your heart, then and only then are you ready for my guidance in that area. Now, you may be thinking ahead, and you may be saying, well, Andy, wait a minute. Even if all those things were right, that still doesn't tell me who I should marry. It doesn't tell me what occupation I should embrace in life. It doesn't tell me where I should should live. My point is this. When Jesus Christ is your first love, and when your ambition is to please Him above all other things, He has preeminence over your life in every area, when you're willing to go wherever He leads, in other words, when you are delighting in Jesus, that's what we're talking about, delighting in Him, then simply follow the desires of your heart. Confident that God has planted those desires in you. And let me be even more specific here. Uh, look there in your notes at how to test a desire. This has been another tool that's been very helpful in my personal life. In other words, when I begin to have a desire or, or a burden, you know, when God began to um, uh, give me real feelings for Kathy years ago. And I began to think, you know, you know, maybe this is the one. Uh, you know, these were the questions that I began to ask in taking spiritual inventory to test that desire. Or when, when God began, would, be, would begin to lead in a particular area. You know, God, should I step out in faith in this area? You know, should I get involved in pregnancy ministry? Or, or God, should, should I really... Uh, put my name, you know, in the hat to be considered to come to Edgewood Baptist, or, you know, you, you could name a, a thousand different things like that. Where you, where you begin to, you know, have a desire, a burden, and, and you're, you're struggling to know, you know, is this really from God? Is this God giving guidance and direction? I have found these seven questions uh, just invaluable uh, to ask that really bring clarity and being able to test that desire. And the first question is this. Am I obeying the revealed will of God? In other words, can I honestly say, okay, right now I'm obeying everything that I know to obey that God has revealed to me? Psalm 119, verse 73. You made me, you created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. See, many times we complain. God, why aren't you giving me the guidance I need? And you know what happens some of the time? God is saying, well, you know, I'm just waiting for you to do what I've already told you to do. You know, it's sort of like a a child asking to go somewhere. And the parent says, wait a minute, what did I tell you? I told you, you need to get your chores done. There's responsibilities you need to assume. Now, once you get your chores done, once you do what I've already told you to do, then I'll be glad to talk about that with you. And God is the same way. Second question. This desire that I'm experiencing, before I act on it, I want to ask, does it agree with the Bible? Does it agree with the Bible? Is it in harmony with the Scriptures? Psalm 119, verse 59. I pondered. I like that word. In other words, he didn't live life haphazardly. He said, I pondered the direction of my life. I took it very seriously in a sober fashion. And I turned to follow your laws. And the fact that he had to turn to follow God's laws means what? As he pondered life's direction... He had to make some course directions from time to time. He had to bring his life in harmony. He began to see, I'm beginning to veer in this area. And what we need to understand is the Holy Spirit's guidance will never contradict God's Word. The Holy Spirit will never put a desire in your heart to ignore or violate a truth God has put in His book give you a classic example of this that i have often seen as a minister you know here this christian young man or christian young woman comes into my office and the story goes something you know i met this wonderful person you know they're every, they're everything that I, I could have ever dreamed of and I, you know and, and 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 i've fallen in love but there's there's one problem they don't know the lord well, what's the answer there? The answer is, what does God's book say? God's book says that a believer is not to be what? Unequally yoked with an unbeliever. A believer is not to intermarriage with an unbeliever. So you can, you, I can look at that person and say, I can, Well, I can tell you one thing. I mean, I understand what happened. I understand the dynamic of it. That could happen to anyone and everyone. But I can guarantee you one thing That desire that you have in your heart to marry, that's not coming from God in this situation. Because to follow that desire would be ignoring God's Word. Would be going in a direction contrary to God's Word. And God does not lead in that fashion. Look at the third question. Very important one. In other words, if I act on this desire, if I go forward with it, will it make me more like Jesus? Will it make me more like Jesus? Look at James chapter 3, verses 15 and 17. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Some things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But the wisdom from above is first pure. It is also peace-loving gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. See, as we've already emphasized, we've, we've been clearly told that the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is to glorify Jesus, which means not only to make Christ known to us, but as we've seen, to make us like Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we see here in James, the Holy Spirit will never plant desires to fuel jealousy or selfishness or self-exaltation or promotion. He only plants desires that are going to lead to purity, peace, and humility. Look at the fourth question. Will it be beneficial to others? Will it be beneficial to others? to others 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 24 let no man then set his own advantage as his objective but rather the good of his neighbor in other words since we know that the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make us like Jesus we can know with confidence that whenever the Holy Spirit plants a desire or a burden within you it's going to be for the good and it's going to be for the benefit of others Because the Holy Spirit is committing you, committed to teaching you to love like Jesus loved, to serve like Jesus served, to become a walking, living epistle of that truth we looked at last Sunday, of developing that humility of mind that regards others more important than myself, where I don't look to my interest, but I'm looking to the interest of others. My goal and objective in life is not to promote self, but is to invest in the lives of others. Drawing them to Jesus Christ and encouraging them and helping them. So as I examine this desire, I need to ask, will this be beneficial to others? Will it be instrumental in making a difference positively in the lives of others? A fifth question. Does my church family confirm it? Does my church family confirm it? Look at Proverbs 11 verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in, notice, abundance of counselors, there is victory. In abundance of counselors. One of the reasons we're in a church family is to encourage one another and to hold one another accountable. You know, as you're wrestling with a decision in life or wrestling with a particular desire or burden, I guarantee you'll be able to find believers in this church family that are more mature than you, that have had more experience than you. You should aggressively seek them out. You don't want to shy away from that. No, you want to be aggressive because you need their encouragement. You need their accountability. And you share with them this burden that you have, this desire. uh, And and, and run it by them. and, And make sure that those that you trust spiritually... Your, your spiritual leaders, uh, those that you respect, they can affirm it, confirm You know, there's another proverbs that says, "The person who isolates himself, that tries to live that lone ranger Christian life, it, it says that person uh, actually abandons wisdom. He, he, he's just he's just turning away from wisdom. So again, if you are looking to see whether or not the Holy Spirit is leading you in this direction, seek the counsel of others. Look at the sixth question. This is a good one, a very simple one, but a very practical one. Does it concern my responsibility? Does it concern my responsibility? good example is John 21, verses 21 and 22. Peter asked Jesus, What about him, Lord? And you know who he's pointing to, if you're familiar with the passage, the Apostle John. You know, this is after the resurrection. And Jesus had that marvelous encounter with uh, Peter and John uh, there at the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he's telling them about things in the future. And Peter said, "Well, well, what about him? And notice what Jesus says. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, what? Follow me. You know, it's amazing How many people will knock on your door and say what? You know, I have a word for you. God has spoken to me. Well, my advice would be, you follow Jesus. And then you trust that God is big enough to lead your brother or sister. And yes, provide encouragement like we've talked about. Yes, provide accountability. But you can't take the place of God. It's not for you to assume responsibility that God has not given you. And that individual is not your servant, it's God's servant. And let God lead them and you encourage them in that. And then a seventh and most important uh, question asked, Do I sense God's peace? And that's one thing you can't fake. (laughs) Do I sense God's peace? Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ guide all your decisions. Circle that word, guide. You know what would be the literal translation of that word? Umpire. In other words, he said, let the peace of God be the umpire in your life. And what does an umpire do? He's the one that calls what? The balls or the strikes. Either out or you're safe. And he's saying, don't take any step. Don't do anything until you have God's perfect, peace, until you have that sense that I have the green light of God's approval, that I have God's smile on this. And there's just that peace that has just flooded me and settled me, and I'm at rest. So again, I I trust those seven questions will be an effective tool in your life, as it has been in my life, uh, to examine desires and burdens that you develop as you walk through the maze of life to determine whether the Holy Spirit has really planted that, and you should act on it. Now let's go to that last question. Okay, well, how do I receive God's guidance? We've seen how the Holy Spirit guides, that He primarily just takes God's Word, and He reminds me of His Word as I walk through life and hit particular situations, circumstances, adversity, decisions. He'll, He'll take God's Word, He'll apply it, and I act on that. We've seen how the Holy Spirit will plant desires and burdens to give direction in life. And how to test those desires. But how do I receive God's guidance? I want to mention three things. Very, very important. First one. First, ask for God's guidance confidently. Ask for God's guidance confidently. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be Bibles in the uh, pews, and you could just grab one of those. Matthew chapter 7, I want us to look at verses 7 through 11. Ask for God's guidance confidently. By the way, while you're turning there, remember what James says? He said, you have not because you ask not. One of the primary reasons we often don't receive God's guidance is we don't ask for it. And God is saying He wants us to to come to Him as a child with His Father and to come confidently knowing that He wants to provide that guidance. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. And let me just pause right there. Many of you are familiar enough with this verse to know that in the Greek text, the verb tenses are such where the rendering would be, Keep on asking, and it shall be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you shall find. Keep on knocking, and it shall be open to you. So there's a process here. And God wants us to persist in seeking His guidance because He's interested in what? Developing, not just giving guidance directly, but developing a relationship with us from which that guidance can come. And then he says in verse 8, For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you, when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give you what is good to those who ask Him? See, you're to always remember, as you ask God for guidance, as you seek God for guidance, as you knock on that door for guidance, never forget on the other side of that door is a heavenly Father who loves you who loves you more than any other person. And not only loves you more than any other person, but knows better and best for you. As we so often say, He is too good to do anything cruel. He is too wise to make a mistake. So that's why we not only need to ask, but we need to ask confidently, in faith, knowing that God's love will respond. But then look at the second condition. And again, I hope what you're seeing in these last three points, and let me just mention it so you don't miss it. We're talking about a relationship. And a relationship always has two sides. You know, there's God does His part, but we have to reciprocate in this relationship with Him. And this is how we reciprocate. We reciprocate by asking confidently. And then we reciprocate by seeking for God's guidance diligently. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Marvelous portion of Scripture. And I want you to see something, again, simple, but powerful and practical. Before we read the verses, let me just point out something. Look at verse 1. Look how it starts. He says, my son, and what's the next word? If. Okay, he's about to lay down some conditions. He's saying, my son, if, and he's going to lay down these conditions. If you do this, if you do that, then go to verse 5. And what's the first word? Then. In other words, if you do these things, then this is what God will do for you. And now, read the passage. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. I would strongly recommend that you go back in those, last, in those first four verses and to circle the verbs, the action words, what God is asking you to do to reciprocate in this relationship that He's entered with you. And what does He ask? He says, What? First, receive. Receive my sayings. Be eager to get in my word to learn. And that word receive there is not just receiving for information, it's receiving for transformation, it's receiving to appropriate, it's ref- receiving to apply. So he says, receive, not only receive, but what? Treasure. I want you to love my commandments. I want you to see, as the Apostle John said, my commandments are not burdensome. They're delight, they're the pathway of life, they're the pathway of blessing. And then he says what? Make your ear what? Attentive to wisdom. In other words, you've got to get quiet. You've got to get away from the distractions in life. There's a discipline in this. And you've got to get in a position where you can hear. Where you can get away from all the noise, from all the other relationships, all the other activities. And where you can get alone with God. Can get in His Word. Where you can really be attentive. And then he says, incline your heart. That you develop a heart that's hungry for God, that's thirst after His, His truth. And then he says, what? Cry. There's the other verb, Cry for discernment. Lift up your voice for understanding. And then what? Seek. Seek guidance. Seek God's direction. But seek it what? As silver. Search for it as hidden treasures. Realizing how valuable that this is. And then, as we've seen, God will come through. And you will discern the fear of the Lord. You will discover the knowledge of God. And He will give wisdom. Look at those other two verses there in your sermon notes related to this point, And I love both of them. Look at Psalm 119, verse 19. I'm a pilgrim here on earth. How I need a map. And your commands are my chart and guide. Amen. Look at Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Beloved, the Bible is your map. It's your chart. It's your guidebook. Did you know in the Apollo space missions to the moon, they were on course, you can check this out, they were on course less than 1% of the time. They were constantly needing mid-course corrections from mission control. Can you imagine what would have happened if they only checked with mission control once a week? Yet, for some of us, the only time we get any biblical input is on Sunday morning. And you wonder, and you wonder, how do I get off course so quickly? Did you know by giving just 15 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Bible in a year? Just by giving 15 minutes a day, you can read the Bible through in a year. You know, it's amazing to me how many, people, how many people who say, you know, I believe the Bible from cover to cover, yet they've never read the Bible from cover to cover. See, here's the simple point. You need to set aside each day a time to check in to God's mission control to get any course corrections, to make sure that your life is in harmony with God's truth and His will for your life. Now, let me show you how to read the Bible. I've shared this on many other occasions, but it's such a practical tool. I like to often remind you of it. There are nine things. Now, these aren't the only nine things, but this is a good start for you. There are nine things you should always look for when you're reading the Bible. And I would suggest, this is what I would suggest. I would suggest you would literally cut, cut that out of your sermon notes, these nine things, these questions, and that you would, you would tape them in the cover of your Bible. And then every time you read the Bible... Refer to these questions and continue to do that until it just becomes second nature to you. Where you don't have to go back and refer to the questions, you're just automatically doing that. And here they are. Is there a sin to confess in this passage that I'm reading? Is there a truth to believe? Is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an attitude to change? Is there an example to follow? Is there an error to avoid? Is there something to thank God for? Now, I don't know if you've realized that all we're talking about right here is meditating on the Scripture. And meditating on the Scripture is not just memorizing the Scripture. No, it's, it's pondering the Scripture. It's mulling over the Scripture in terms of how does this apply to my life? How can I personalize this? And see, these nine questions, they aid you in that process of meditating on the Scripture, personalizing the Scripture, bringing your life in harmony with God's truth. And then look at the third thing that God asks us to do as we cooperate with Him in this reciprocal relationship. We're to wait for God's guidance expectantly. We're to wait for God's guidance expectantly. Know that He'll give you the guidance, and He'll give it to you in the right time. He knows when it's best, but we're to be expectant. We're to come to Him in faith. Look at James chapter 2. Great, great passage along these lines. James chapter 2. I'm sorry, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verses 2 through 8. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 8. I want you to see the fuller context. In chapter, in verse 2 he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So just stop right there. In the context, he's talking about walking through the maze of life. And he's saying, as you walk through that maze of life, you're going to encounter problems. You're going to encounter trials and adversities and challenges and pain and perplexity. And he's saying, when that happens, don't look upon these things as intruders to ruin your life. No, welcome them as friends. They're gifts from God to give you an opportunity to learn how to trust God, how to obey God, even in difficult circumstances, to learn endurance, to learn per- perseverance, to become complete, entire, mature, lacking in nothing as a believer. But then he says in verse 5, "...but if any of you lacks wisdom..." Let him ask of God. In other words, I love how practical the Word of God is. James says, I realize as you're going through that life's maze, you are going to hit problems and challenges and adversities and perplexities. And you're not going to have a clue about what to do. You're going to need guidance. You're going to need wisdom. So he says, if any of you lacks it, and you are, let him ask God. And then notice, who gives to all men. How does God give? Generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But then don't miss verse 6. But let him ask in faith. In other words, that's another way of saying that we're to wait for God's guidance expectantly. Let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. So James says, you're to wait on God's guidance, and you're to wait in faith, expecting God to come through, knowing he's a God of love, knowing that he's generous, and he's committed to guiding you. But he's warning us. He said, don't dare think you're going to get anything from God. You're not going to get guidance, you're going to get zilts from God if you're double-minded. You say, well, what is double-minded? Again, not difficult to say. We go back to our lesson on the filling of the Holy Spirit. Those four conditions. Being double-minded is violating those. It's when you don't submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When Jesus would look at you and say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I tell you? That's a double-minded person. Or not being cleansed from all sin. Flirting with sin. Embracing sin. Not forsaking it. Not confessing it. Or resisting God's efforts to break you of your self-sufficiency. Being content to stay in your stinking pride and your arrogance. Not to learn humility and peace and purity. Or what? Not obeying God's Word. You know, giving Him half-hearted allegiance That's being double-minded. And so, what's the lesson for you and I? He says, hey, yes, you're to ask confidently. You're to seek for His guidance diligently. And you're, you're to wait for His guidance expectantly. But you need to be single-minded with God. With a single heart, totally devoted to Jesus Christ. Realizing it's not about you, it's about Him. Realizing the whole issue is submitting to His authority to serve His agenda, to serve His plan for your life, and to gain His approval. Now, folks, as we come to the invitation, uh, I hope another thing is very obvious if you do not know the Lord Jesus. You know, the only way to know God's guidance is to know the guide, (laughs) is to know Jesus. Jesus Himself said, They follow me because they what? They hear my voice. Because they've entered a relationship with me. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Just right before we move into the invitation, I just want to give each of you an opportunity to respond in your heart to the truth that you've heard today. You know, you, how many times have you heard me say from this pulpit, listening to a message has never changed the first person. It's what you do with the truth. It's, it's acting on the truth that brings change. And what I've always encouraged you to do, anytime you listen to any message, at least pick out one area where you can zone in on that area, Really surrender that to God and ask God to take you deeper and do a significant work there. And so right now, you may even want to just with your notes there on your lap, just let your eyes just float over those notes. And is there a particular area in today's message? Is there a particular truth that just stands out to you that God is speaking to you here? This is an opportunity for you to check in to mission control. To make the course correction. To get back on with God's plan for your life.